0: This is Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing with Dr. Denise Johnson, a show dedicated to the integration of spirituality, faith, mental health, and emotional wellness. I believe where your spirit leads, your emotions, power, and destiny will follow. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing and I am your host, Christian emotional wellness expert and licensed mental health professional, Dr. Denise Johnson. And the excellent topic for today's show is, is psychotherapy really for black people? (laughs) And my guest is the wonderful Terrence Nichols. Terrence Nichols is a licensed mental health counselor who has devoted himself to working with struggling individuals and couples. He obtained his master's degree in mental health counseling from Pace University and his license in mental health counseling in both New York and New Jersey. He is currently functioning as a psychosocial rehabilitation therapist at an inpatient psychiatric hospital that is ranked in the top five for psychiatry in the United States and number one for psychiatry in New York. Mr. Terrence is also the founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling, a private practice that provides hope, encouragement, and and guidance to people struggling with various mental health issues and life challenges. Mr. Terrence is trained in both secular and Christian counseling. Additionally, he is an adjunct professor at Pace University where he teaches marriage and family therapy in a master's level program. Mr. Terrence also hosts the Facebook page Jesus Saves Marriages. Well, Mr. Terrence, it is my absolute joy and delight to have you as a guest on the show today. And I want to thank you so much for the openness of heart to talk with me in the audience today.
1: It's my pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Denise. I'm very I'm really looking forward to this conversation today.
0: Me too. Me too. So I'm going to dive into the first question, which is can you tell us some about your early history? Sure. I was
1: the first born son. Uh, I have a sister that's five years younger than me. Both of my parents uh, immigrated here to the United States from the island of Barbados. Okay. Um, they came here, why? Because this is the land of opportunity. Yes. Um, and <laughs> we know, yes. And my father was Involved in electronics, he was able to land a career as, uh, as an executive at a large corporation um, nice. and had the challenges of being a black professional male in corporate America in the late 60s, early 70s. Yes. My mom, she worked in the healthcare profession. And when we got older, she kind of went back to work. She worked at a, a nursing home. And mm-hmm. one other thing that she always did was she always was involved in church. Great. We grew up in Great. the suburbs. Yeah, we were, grew up in the suburbs, and I was one of uh, just a couple of black families on the block at the time. I attended an excellent school, and I did well in school because education was really important to my parents. They really emphasized yeah. that. Yes. Um, yes. It, so
0: let me ask you, what what was it that actually made you interested in mental health per se, or getting a degree in that exactly.
1: Uh, I really enjoyed helping people. And yes. um,
0: people found
1: me to be a good listener and valued my thoughts and my opinions. And it just felt comfortable and it felt natural for me. Um, so that's how I ended up uh, landing in mental health. And yes. it really wasn't, when I went to school originally for my undergrad degree, I Mm -hmm. studied business administration. Wow. But I also took some... Um, psychology courses, so I had enough courses to minor in psychology, and I loved it, but I didn't pursue it because people said, you're not going to be able to make any money in that unless you go for (laughs) your doctorate, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Unless you go for your doctorate, and at that time, I'm thinking, that's seven years of school, and I, you know, my priorities weren't in the right place then, so I said, let me just get my degree in business and take that route.
0: right, And, Um, and then at some point, you switched over more to mental health from business?
1: yeah so actually after uh, graduating um I tried to start my own business um mm-hmm. that didn't work out. My father invested in real estate, so we were rehapping houses in a neighborhoods of so low social economic stats we mm-hmm. I then ended up selling real estate at one time, becoming a realtor, managed a convenience store I even sold women's shoes at one point. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then in 1995, um, I taught myself right after college really how to uh, navigate uh, Microsoft Windows, and Uh I was able to start a career in IT. Okay. And that career in IT was very lucrative. I was able to get up, rise high up of the corporate ranks. I went from a network engineer position to network operations manager, having meetings with the top executives, the CTO of the company,
0: uh-huh. um,
1: commanding a great salary. And life, as I thought at that time, was, was great and perfect. Okay. Right? Yes. Um, and then, uh, you know, somewhere in my mid-30s, I, I, again, although I was making good money, I said to myself, is this really what I want to do? Um, And do I see myself doing this, you know, until retirement? And the answer was no. You know, the answer was no to that question. Okay. Uh, So then the thought was, well, what do you want to do? And then I went back Mm -hmm. to, as we discussed earlier, what I loved. I loved helping people.
0: All right. I love that about your story. I love the fact that, you know, the seeds that are planted when we are young, really do grow to fruition, even if our path is an unconventional one. And um, I also will add to that, that I know in the economy of God, nothing is wasted. So that all of your business background and IT background, I'm sure help you with what you're doing now in a way that people who didn't have that background may not have.
1: That's true. Um, You know, it, it, to touch on that, you know, when I think of uh my spiritual history, I think that you know, my mother when I was growing up, it wasn't an option. We were going to church every Sunday. Right. Whether right. we liked it or not. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we attended a church and at that time that church it was an all white congregation. Um and then mm-hmm. slowly over the years transitioned to become an all black congregation. Okay. Um, And in, in being there with my mother, she also had me involved in things like Habitat for Humanity and uh, doing walks for hunger and working in the food okay. pantry, which helped to really develop an empathy for other people. Yes. Um, that was great. Uh, I then, you know, just going through the line of how things were in my spiritual walk, Yes. I, I I stopped going to church when I went to college, right? Because again, okay. my priorities changed. Yeah. Yes. The most important things were partying, uh, getting a car, and dating. Um, yes. But you know the Lord, He He tugs on us every once in a while.
0: Yeah. Um, and
1: I I remember Him tugging on me in my early twenties, and I. I went back and I joined this church. It was hosted by this young pastor with a startup. And Mm -hmm. um, and something just didn't seem right. I left that and I said, you know what, I'm just going to focus on my career in IT. And I did that. And I chased the money. I chased the material things. I bought a house. I bought a luxury car. And I thought to myself, I was living this American dream. But at some point I also said, you know what, you have all these material things, Terrence, but you have no one to share it with. Right. Um, and then I felt that tug again from the Lord, and I returned yeah. to church. But it wasn't really solely, and just being honest, to, to, to really learn the word. It was to see if I could find someone to date, right, because I was experiencing right. this period of loneliness. Okay. And what really happened to me, Dr. Denise, was um, one day in that wonderful luxury German car, I was on my way to work, and I was involved in a five-car pileup on the oh. highway. All right. Yeah. And uh, the airbag exploded. The guy behind me thought I was dead for sure. He ran out. Remember, he ran to the side of my door and he screamed, Are you okay? Can you move? Can you move? And, you know, the car was filled with the smoke from the airbag. And I had no, there was no marks, no evidence of any damage to me. The car was completely destroyed. And I, yeah. And I stepped out of that. dr denise and i said from this day forward i'm going to devote my life to christ and doing i His
0: love work. that i yeah. love that
1: and yeah and uh it was when i did that you know all the dating i had done up to the point had not worked out but the lord brought me the, the wife of my dreams after Wonderful. i made that i committed to him Wonderful. and then we started attending a, a a church a bible teaching church together we were engaged within three months and married a year later.
0: That is excellent. Um, oh, I
1: love that. Yeah.
0: Love that. And so today,
1: you know, the two of us kinda we, we served the Lord together in various capacities. Um and I took a Christian counseling course. Um and then I remembered another pivotal time. You know, I took uh-huh. a Christian counseling course and I said, I love this. This is what I want to do. Yes. Uh but my but my wife had just Uh, you know he was pregnant we were expecting a child I got this glossy flyer for a local university offering mental health counseling classes I went to their open house it sounded great and when I asked them how much it was going to cost they said $60,000 wow and yeah and I didn't have that and with the newborn um, coming I didn't want to go into debt so I said Lord if this is something you want me to do you will open the door for it to happen Yes, yes. And he did, he did an amazing work. He was able to, uh, my wife got a new job after a uh-huh. lot of prayer, and it was at our university. Um, and her having that job afforded me the opportunity to go back to school and pay pretty much nothing for my master's degree in mental health counseling.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. You know, I, it just gives me chills and goosebumps just to hear yet again, how God orders the footsteps of those that he loves. And um, that just makes me really, it just makes me really, really happy. So you kind of answered it, but I want to ask you how your personal and spiritual histories, how they make you who you are today and contribute to what you're doing today.
1: As you mentioned earlier, I think, you know, there are three things that contributed. One was my upbringing. Um, Okay. You know, Church introduced me to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, and it planted those seeds in me. Um, And over the year, those seeds grew. And like I said, the Lord, you know, tugged on me. I did my thing. We have free will, but he tugged on me and brought me back. Um, And then I got back in sync with what he wanted me to do. Um, Also, contributing to my upbringing um, was that I grew up in a very diverse, culturally diverse town.
0: All right. um, and
1: for that reason, I find it, I'm very comfortable talking to to anybody, you know. Okay. Um, and I think when you're gifted with this gift of counseling, people just approach you and start talking.
2: Um, yes, they do. Know, are,
1: they do. <laughs> there, are, there are times my wife will say, I'm just going to go to the restroom. We'll be at, let's say, a mall or something, and then she'll come out and I'm <laughs> And I'm having this conversation. The person's telling me about their challenges in their marriage and the challenges. Yeah. And She says, "Did you know that person?" I said, "No, I just found him while I was working for you." <laughs> oh, it's so true. So, oh, you know, so, so I, I, so I feel comfortable talking to anybody. That volunteering that I talked about earlier helped to develop that empathy in me.
0: Yes.
1: Um, I, I think my refocus about material things was important in contributing to this. So. You know, I had several careers, so again, I, that gives me the ability to relate to various types of people. Um, That's great. I learned that money isn't everything. Yes, amen, <laughs> uh, amen to that. <laughs> amen. And and that material things can be taken away, right? Yes, like that luxury car yes. in the
0: blink of an eye. <laughs> in, in the, the blink, blink of an eye. eye. Yes.
1: You know, and in the and, and an it was later that I realized that that material thing became an idol.
0: Yeah. And,
1: uh, and I can remember even saying, I love this car over and over. And it, yes. it, it became, I put that thing before the Lord.
2: Um
1: right. And then the the third thing I think that contributed was, again, okay. the spiritual. Um, my mom raised me up in the way that I should go, and when I got older, I didn't depart from it too much. Yeah. Right? I came oh, back.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I
1: I learned that when God gets involved in things, things work out best.
0: Um,
1: And, you know, going through the mental health counseling program, I studied several different theoretical approaches to therapy. And I remember in my very last year, I told my professor, I said, I can't find one useful intervention here that I can't trace back to the Bible.
0: I agree. I agree. <laughs> really? I Wholeheartedly agree. Yes. And what did he he or she say when you said that?
1: And is it, it, it's interesting. He said, "You know what, Terrence, you should if you go get your doctorate, you should write your thesis on that." And I said, "You know what? I think I will." Um yes. And I don't know if that is in my plan, uh, but it, it is so true. I mean, so many of these theoretical approaches, and, and they come out. This is the new thing, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, they just took this from Philippians 4, uh, right? Yes, or, exactly. Or or this whole thing was just taken from a proverb, you know? Exactly. And they're packaging it as this, this new intervention, and I have yet to find one useful therapeutic intervention that I can't trace back to the Bible, or a story in the Bible where we got to see the characters in that, whatever the setting right. or the situation that they're in, that we can't use that now as a way to, to, to help other people, right? And to learn from yeah. ourselves, right? So yeah. we don't have to commit those same errors in life.
2: Well, I think this is the perfect place for a break. Please join me after the break when my guest, licensed mental health professional Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York, will talk more about whether psychotherapy is really for black people. Everyone, you are listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing, and I am your host, Dr. Denise Johnson. And the topic for today's show is Is Psychotherapy Really for Black People? And my guest is licensed mental health professional Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York.
1: And, you know, in, as you said earlier, I'm working in the two settings,
0: um, the hospital. And, it's interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you, what exactly is a rehabilitation uh, therapist? Like, What exactly do you do in the hospital? Very good
1: question. Um, and my full title is Psychosocial Rehabilitation okay. Therapist. <laughs> okay. Very convoluted. <laughs> right, but what does all that mean? It just, yeah. means, you know, when people fr- <laughs> when people first come in, I do an initial assessment, try to find okay. out, you know, what happened that caused them okay. to come here. All right. Um, I host group therapy sessions, so we do okay. it in groups of sometimes ten to fifteen people. All right. And in between those, I actually do individual therapy. Oh, now, that's great. Yeah. And the, the population I serve is quite diverse. So I work with people with bipolar disorder, which means mm-hmm. they can go from what we call a manic episode, which feel like they're on top of the world, grandiose, pressured, they're impulsive, sometimes right. hypersexual, doing flight of ideas to a depressive state. Um, so I work with those patients. I work with, uh, patients who have major depressive disorder, um, yes. which is debilitating, um, personality disorders, psychotic disorders, eating disorders,
0: and addictions, just to name a few. Yes. Now, let me ask you, in your private practice, what type of clients is it typically?
1: So um, it's typically the same range of diagnoses. The difference is those people that come to the hospital are in an acute state. Okay. Um, So what that means is they oftentimes at that point, are a danger to themselves, a danger to someone else, or they've engaged in destroying property. Um, okay. And when you have those things going on, you, you often – you can voluntarily check yourself into a hospital or you might be committed um, right. to a hospital. Whereas in my private practice, I work with people with the same diagnosis, but they're at a position where they're no longer thinking about hurting themselves or as much. Okay. Um, right. And um, and now we can work. So it's after you leave the hospital, you might come to someone like me, um, or you know, I don't only work with people who have had acute um, states. Uh, there are people who come to me that are out of a job and are not sure what to do about it, and I come alongside them and help them with that.
0: Right, right. And and I wanted to ask you. I I know that you also have training in Christian counseling. Do you get to do much Christian counseling at work or in the practice?
1: Yeah. Um, so I do different things at work. Like we, we have a, a
0: Christian prayer group for
1: the staff, actually. Nice. Um, so that we can okay. pray. Yeah. So, so we can pray for the, the patient and pray for each yeah. other because it's hard work. Right. Yes, um, it is. That we, that we do. Um, and then in private practice, I do individual therapy, I do couples therapy, and um, I offer the, all my clients the ability to do Christian counseling. So I'll assess them initially, are, is, are these your beliefs, and if so, would you like to incorporate right. it into our right. therapy sessions? Yes. If they say yes, amen. That's the, that's the yes. approach we take. We, you know, yes. we start sessions with prayer, we, we go through, I reference the scriptures and we end in prayer, um, nice. you know. And there might be some people who say, no, I don't do Christian counseling. But what they don't know is I'm still counseling them with the word, right? I, um, right, because
0: everything is related.
1: <laughs> yes, and the principles <laughs> yes. are still the same. Yes, they're still exactly. the same.
0: I'm just, exactly. I'm just
1: not telling them what scripture yes. reference I'm using. And they'll have to say, wow, this is so eye-opening, or this is amazing. And I say to myself, amen. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I love it. I love Um, it. I love it. That's great. Well, look, let me ask you, how did you become aware of issues and problems for black people regarding mental health and mental health treatment?
1: That's a great question. It it was actually quite difficult to to begin with um, for me to, to to be aware of it because I didn't see it in my family. Okay. Um, and you know, we, as a people, we kind of suck it up, you know, as African-Americans right. yes. we suck it up. We push through yes. things. We persevere. Yes. We don't talk about it. We just do. Right. Um, right. So you don't have that exposure that way to it. Um, you know, I often see sometimes like kids when they're having challenges in schools, they're, they're, they're labeled as misbehaved or bad right. or out of control. Um, and as adults, sometimes we were just la- described as lazy or, right. or criminals when there is some underlying mental health issue going on. Right. You know, um, but we were, I, the way I always saw it is like it was, we we're kind of made to think that it was a choice. We've made a choice to be lazy. You know, right. um, this this child who's struggling made the choice to just be disruptive in class, and sometimes the schools weren't even exploring to find out what might be the reason. Yes. Right, there could be several things that contribute to that. Yes. So those things we don't see it on TV, right? When you watch TV, you didn't see black people in therapy. We see right. uh, white people in therapy. The therapist is yes. white. The the yes. the client is white, and you say, okay, that's something they do. Um, so didn't see it there in our community we kind of sometimes hold to you know we're not going to air our dirty laundry right not put the family (laughs) stuff out there right so people don't talk about it so how it was actually brought to my attention was when I started working at the hospital okay and I started to see that more of us were being admitted to the hospital for various diagnoses Um, okay and I realized that something, this was important because what was happening, or I think even still happens in our communities, a lot of times, because we don't seek therapy, we don't have a history of therapy. So if, let's say, I do something and I act out without a history of therapy or a mental illness, I'm going to go to jail, Right. right? But if I act right. out, and I have a history of mental illness, and I've been maybe managing that with medication, and I can articulate that, let's say, when the police arrive on the seat, then I'm going right. to go to a psychiatric facility. Yes, and get you know, help. Yes. And get help. And, you know, it brought to my mind, I said, how many of us are going to jail when we really need to be going to the hospital? Right. And it's quite a few, I would tell you.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, yes.
1: because I, sometimes I'll look at, you know, other people that are not black. Right. And I'll read through the chart and I'll say, man, this person did all these things. And I'll say, if this was me, I would be in jail, you know, it's but again, true. because there's a, docu- <laughs> there's a documented mental health history, it doesn't go that course. So that was one thing that really opened my eyes to the need for it, um, uh, in the black community. And then, the other thing is just studying the diagnoses. And, you know, in studying that and preparing for my license, I, I'm looking at a lot of the criteria and I'm saying, man, mm. there's so many people that I've known that have suffered with these things, you know? Yes. And in retrospect, you can say, oh, you know what? Like this guy, now I look back in retrospect, I see this person probably had this disorder. Right. Um, this person looked malnourished and I never saw them eating because maybe they had an eating disorder. This person right. always made excuses about leaving the house and, you know what, they probably had agoraphobia. So yes. in getting to understand the diagnoses, I think I was made aware of um, the need for it in, in the black community. There are mental yes. health issues. It's not something that just other people suffer from. We all right. can
0: suffer from it. Yes, I agree. I agree. Can you give some specific examples of some of the issues and problems in mental health for black yes, people? Yes,
1: I can. I have a Excellent. few, probably about 10 of them. Um, the one that, com- <laughs> one that comes to mind um, first is something called cultural mistrust. Okay. Um, and what that is is when African Americans develop beliefs about clinicians of European descent, and based on those beliefs, exercise what they perceive as essential behaviors to su- survive and thrive in society. All right. And this cultural mistrust is fueled by misconduct by um, white healthcare providers in the past that make us right. uh, apprehensive about seeking treatment by white healthcare providers. Right. And, Right. The one that was documented is the Tuskegee Experiment. Yes, of course. Which, uh, oh, my goodness. And that is, you know, from 1932 to 1972, this government agency initiated the syphilis study using almost 399, almost 400 um, black men from Tuskegee, Alabama, they were unaware of their diagnosis, they were never told of their diagnosis, right. um, and the goal of their study was just to see how syphilis progressed in people of African descent. Right. Um, the horror right. of it was when the study began, there was no effective remedy, but 15 years into the study, penicillin was found to be a cure, but it wasn't offered to these folks right. that were in the study. They weren't informed yes. of their diagnosis, treatment was withheld, and many of them died from the disease uh, yes. or the disease-related complications. And we yes. still to this day, Dr. Denise, don't know the implications of that and how that affected their kids and their kids' kids,
0: you know. Yes. For
1: generations could have been affected by that.
0: Yes. Um, I, I agree. And let me, let me just add to that that you know that the – medical mistreatment of African Americans or Africans goes all the way back to slavery times and, you know, where black people were heinously operated on not given proper accommodations and, 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 you know, and these things are still seen currently in terms of the the quality and the caliber of the medical treatment that a lot of black people get or don't get as a case may be in the inner city. And so I agree with you. There, there is a real mistrust in the black community about how, how much can they trust the medical establishment to really see them as human beings and to really right. give them the best treatment, optimal treatment. Um, we just haven't seen it as a group of people. Um, and, so, and that includes mental health for that reason because, you know, we right. also have stories, right, on, on yes. how mental health is, is served differently. Uh, based on community and race and status as well.
1: Yes. And to to, to piggyback on that, you know, African-Americans, there are studies that show that we're often misdiagnosed. Um, Yes. And, in fact, three to four times more likely to be misdiagnosed with psychiatric psychiatric disorders and mental illness. Um, Right. And also to touch on something you just said, you know, I remember when I relocated, um, I had high blood pressure and I needed a doctor to manage my blood pressure in this new area. And I went to this magazine, which was like the who's who of doctors in my area. Yeah. And I found this cardiac specialist and I said, this is great. I went to see her and she wasn't welcoming. She, wow. you no, know, it just blew my mind as a cardiac specialist, wasn't familiar with the blood pressure medication that I was, was taking. Um, and she never even took my blood pressure. (laughs) Now, if someone comes in telling you they have high blood pressure issues, the one thing you would make sure that you would do was take their blood pressure. So it clearly communicated to me that she wasn't interested in me or my, 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 health at that time. And I never went back, but you know what? That leaves a bad taste in your mouth.
0: Yes, it does.
1: You know, um, and so you start to say, you know, am I going to get the care from people who don't look like me? Right. Um, and then as an African-American man, you know, there are stereotypes about men, African-American men. So sometimes you think to yourself, you know, am I, should I go to this provider who has probably been subjected to all these stereotypes? And are they going to, you know, feel like I am undeserving of this treatment for some reason? So right. all of those things, you know, um, kind of fuel this, this mis- cultural mistrust in African-Americans. Yes. But in addition to that, there's stigma. Right? Yes. Um, stigma is, you know, we hold on to strong beliefs that sometimes about going to therapy. Again, we think that, you know, you must be crazy, quote-unquote crazy, in order to seek treatment. I- Right. And that's far from the truth.
2: Um,
1: yes. Some feel that, you know, I'm the only one going through this, and because of that, they're not willing to share with anyone what they're going through, and they struggle alone. Right. You know? And then touching on something I said earlier, is people are, are so guarded, they think to themselves, you know, I don't want to put my stuff out there. Yes. You know, so... They they hold it in, and they don't get the treatment that they need. So for us to move past that, we have to realize, you know, there's certain things that we just can't fix on our own. Right. And once we come to that realization, say, you know be willing to say I'm going to be vulnerable and put my information out there, be
0: candid with it so that I can get the help that I need. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, let me just also add that I think that a lot of black people in particular they underestimate the the added stress that black people carry uh, oh yeah in relation in relation to dealing with race and racism day in and day out and day in and day out and other issues like poverty and you know quality of medical care and jobs and and it adds an extra stressor to us that also impacts our emotional well-being, right, and our mental health.
1: Um, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. We have economic disparities, um, yes. racism, which we're seeing bubble to the surface now in the media. Those yes. things compound what we're going through, you know. Um, and and that's that's really again all the more reason why we need to to seek help sometimes it's the people people are unaware that you know they have enough symptoms to even qualify for a diagnosis and um you know if you're seeing let's say challenges with your sleep and appetite and you withdraw from doing things that you want to enjoy I, and, and the person identifies as being depressed i often ask people i say how long do you think you need to be in that depressive state for it to qualify as major depressive disorder. And people right. often say S- six months, a year. Yeah. But yeah. the diagnostic t- statistical manual that we use to diagnose people says two weeks. Yes, it's two weeks. It's two weeks. So, and, yeah. and again, we've, we, as people, have been dealing with things for weeks and months and maybe yeah. even years, and yeah. we don't think that maybe what we have is severe enough or don't even realize that we are, we definitely satisfy all the criteria for this diagnosis and that there's treatment out there that can help. So yeah.
0: um,
1: more, more awareness about diagnoses is important. Doubt that treatment will be effective is another thing, right? Some believe that therapy is not designed for African-Americans and therefore it won't be effective for us. And that is far from the truth. Um, right. We are human beings. We often advocate for that right we say that we're not we're just like everyone else we want to be treated like everyone else well yes guess what our body chemistry is similar to everyone else and you know what the interventions that could be helpful for people who are not african-american can be helpful for us right so we need to drop that uh thought that you know treatment can't be effective (laughs) for us
2: well i think this is the perfect place for a break Please join me after the break when my guest, licensed mental health professional Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York, will talk more about whether psychotherapy is really for black people. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing. And I am your host, Dr. Denise Johnson. And the topic for today's show is, is psychotherapy really for black people? And my guest is licensed mental health professional, Terrence Nichols, founder of Westchester Mental Health Counseling in White Plains, New York.
1: You know, you and I are in this field, and yet there are people who think that, you know, there just aren't any African-American clinicians out there. Right. And if you're looking for black psychiatrists, you're, you're going to see more and more as time goes on, but there might be just yeah. a handful of them. But you have yeah. master's-level professionals like myself who can also do the work or social workers who can also do the work. So you don't have to go to a psychiatrist or a doctor. You can use a master level clinician. I Um, agree. And excellent, very good, and very well
0: trained, I might add.
1: Right. Um, So some people are unsure what to expect from treatment, right? Right. sometimes white people have grown up, and for generations, their grandmother or grandfather may have gone to therapy. They've watched their mother go to therapy, father go to therapy. They become teenagers, and they go to therapy. So they've seen yes. this models for them, right? Yes. They know how it works. Yes. They see yes. uh, and, and hear that it's beneficial for them. So it seems like, right, this is what I need to do as well. <laughs> um, you know, we don't, we don't have that modeled for us, so sometimes people will call me for an initial phone call and they'll say, mm-hmm. well, tell me how this works, you know, and, you know, everything from explaining how insurance works to right. how long a session is, how long yeah. we do session, you know, you, you're breaking down the basics, so there's that learning curve because yeah. it's just not something we've had modeled for us for generations. That's true. And then from a, a socio-economic, just from an economic standpoint, um, thinking of, you know, sometimes people think if I go uh, and take care of my mental health issues, then I might be missing out, let's say I'm working some extra hours on my job, right? So there's a financial impact <laughs> or, or therapy is costly. In order to do it, I'm going to need to get a babysitter and, right. you know, that's going to be an added expense and those things hold right. us back. Um, right. and then the last thing I want to add is, uh, I find that a lot of people say, you know, I, I went and I just, I spoke to my pastor and yes. amen, you do that. But there sometimes <laughs> comes a point, <laughs> it comes a point where yes. your pastor needs to have realized that, you know what, this is something that I can't treat or this person needs additional help from a professional. Right, right. Um, because you could actually be do- doing the person a disservice by trying to help them if you're not qualified to help.
0: Right. Especially if it's related to one of the more severe uh, mental health issues that you were talking about or, you know, trauma issue right. or different things like that. I can see that being an issue. Absolutely. All right, then. Excellent list. So can you tell us some things... That can make mental health treatment better for black people that you haven't already mentioned? Uh,
1: yeah. Um, I think integrating it, uh, you know, I, I just talked about people, uh, you know, going to church or going to the pastors and kind of just integrating that spiritual orientation can make things better. Yes, uh, I agree. You know, their Their religion is is familiar or Christianity is familiar, so build on that foundation yes.
0: Um, yes. I, 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 say, should... I, I don't think a lot of people I don't think a lot of people realize that, like you, there are plenty of people that can integrate Christian counseling or or any spiritual practice into their therapy work. The client just has to ask um right because because this you know we are mind body and spirit and i think that even the world now recognizes that we are triune you know and not just right. cognitive
1: right that's that's exactly right and you know the wonderful thing i find as an advantage of of christian counseling is that i, I almost i think that the the clients tend to have an extra toolbox right yes. cuz they have this Bible that in between sessions with me, they can turn to, right? Um, you know, they can pray to the Lord on the way to a session or on the way home from a session anywhere, yes. you know, they can listen to the guidance of the Holy spirit and they are getting uh, therapy continually. Whereas someone who's solely just going for um, secular counseling they feel great and invigorated during session, and then they leave, and right. then, you know, a day or two later, they're just saying, I can't wait to get back in the room because I need it again. I need another injection right. of this, <laughs> right. you know? Um, so I think integrating it would be important. Education, yeah. as I said earlier, you know, you can't get something treated or seek treatment for somebody if you don't know that you have it. Uh, right. So, understanding different diagnoses, looking up your symptoms, it's probably easier now than ever with the internet, not that you can trust everything, but it's a good place to start. Yeah. I think also understanding that, you know, there's this uh, thought about nature-nurture and how much of one contributes to uh, someone maybe having a struggle or a mental illness, Mm -hmm. so is it your circumstances solely, or is it something biological? It can be a little bit of both.
2: Um,
1: right, right. And it's important to know that because just looking through history, you might say, see a pattern of a certain diagnosis in your family, and that's important right. to know.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so, so you can be aware of it, take a proactive approach of it. Uh, and then I think knowing that there are different alternatives, right, uh, for, okay. for treatment. You yes. can go see a therapist. You can go see a psychiatrist. Right. You, you, you know, does it have to, do you have to get on medication? Maybe not, right? Maybe right. Ther- talk therapy is enough. Or right. maybe, um, you know, medication is enough. Ther- studies show that the two combined are more effective than either separately. So right. you can explore that. Uh, there are walk-in centers now. Um, where if you're feeling dysregulated, you can just walk in and they can do a quick assessment or triage and determine what your next step should be. Right. Uh, There are day programs you can go to. There are inpatient programs like the hospital that I work for. And then if you need longer, some people that are discharged from my hospital Mm -hmm. in that acute state, um, they might need more care, and they might go to a residential program for three months. So. It depends on what you have. Um, yeah. There's group therapy. As we find out with this this pandemic, now you can do therapy via telemedicine over some yeah. sort of video conferencing, yeah. um, which makes it convenient. And then I also worked for a psychiatric hotline mm. at one time. And you can call in to that psychiatric, psychiatric hotline. They're popping up all over the country now. And just... I mean, if you're in distress, you feel like you're going to hurt yourself, you can express that. If you are just looking for mental health services in your area, you can you right. can request that, and they have that right. information. Excellent. So I think all of those things, that knowledge and that information, can also help.
0: Excellent. And, you know, I just wanted to add one. I, I think that if the therapy for the black person includes some form of racial justice you know, helping the black person address racism if it's at work or at school, Um, helping black people, you know, address and process through their racial trauma in relation to how they've repeatedly been treated in in a horrible manner.
2: Well, our time is up for today, and I just wanted to tell you that you have been an absolutely delightful and wonderful guest, very informative and very insightful, and I want to thank you again for the openness of your heart to share yourself with my audience and with those also who are in your world.
1: It was
0: my pleasure, Dr. Lees. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So how can the audience contact you or reach out to you if they want more information?
1: OK. Um, uh, can www.terrancenichols.com is one way to to reach me that will actually take you to my private practice page and then there's can a oh way to send Can you spell it, it for email. us? Sure absolutely uh, it's www.terrancenichols.com Excellent um, so that's that's one way Facebook I'm same thing my first name last name on Facebook Instagram same thing and if you're a Twitter person my handle is Terrence Helps on Twitter
0: I love that (laughs) I love that I love that well at the end of my show I always ask my guests to say a prayer over the audience about today's topic so I'm going to ask you to do that for me now
1: I would love to do that
0: Heavenly Father, we
1: just thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. I thank you for uh, Dr. Denise providing this platform to get the word out to African Americans who might be struggling with mental illness, Lord. And we just pray that uh, all the listeners who are encouraged and are encouraged to get help and support for themselves or others that they may know are in need, Um, I pray if if you're out there and you've tried to fix the problem on your own, if the issues have been persistent for several weeks, if it's been interrupting your work, your school, your family life, I pray that, uh, Lord, you'd guide these uh, listeners to clinicians who can come alongside of them and help them and take the time to explain um, how things work with counseling, with medication, Lord. And I just pray that you just you just guide them to the right clinicians and that you give those clinicians um, the insight to accurately diagnose and treat those people who come to them. So um, I just pray that everyone here listening also remembers that, Lord, we are created in your image, um, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as your word says. And even if we are not perfect, no one is perfect, Lord. And those imperfections, we can turn to you uh, for help, help from the Holy Spirit, um, and be okay with knowing that we don't have to fix everything on our own, Lord, because you have blessed clinicians to do this kind of work. So we just thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. And amen.
2: Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you, O God, for another opportunity to speak your name. I praise you and thank you, O God, for giving us a venue in the marketplace, O God, where your name has the preeminence, O God. I thank you for the life of my guest today, O God, Terrence Nichols, O God. I thank you for how you had your hand on his life when he was young, O God. I thank you for the upbringing of his family, O God. I thank you, O God, that while He was yet trying to find his way, O God, you still had your hand upon his life, O God, guiding him and bringing him back to yourself. I thank you for your Son, who is alive on the inside of him, O God, I thank you how He uses the Holy Spirit to help him in his pursuits to help others, O God. I bless His hands, O God, as he reaches out to touch others in your name. I bless the clients, oh God, at the mental health hospital where he works, oh God. I speak life over them, oh God. I speak healing over them, oh God. I bind the spirits of depression and bipolar disorder and anger and schizophrenia and, and substance abuse and anything else that is coming against them, oh God. I thank you, oh God, that despite being in the hospital, they will find their release and their redemption and their healing in you. I speak over his clients at his private practice, oh God, and White Plains, New York, oh God, I thank you for their lives, oh God. I thank you that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will also quicken their mortal bodies, oh God, and change their neurochemistry and and change the structure and function of their brain, oh God, and or, or anything else, oh God, that is causing them to have their symptoms, oh God. I speak life over it and healing in your name. I speak over the audience now, oh God. For those in the audience, oh God, black people and other people of color and and people of European descent alike, O God, who find themselves today, O God, with mental health issues, O God. I breathe the breath of life over them, O God. I thank you that they will not give up hope, O God, for their hope and their strength and their redemption and their healing is in you. I thank you that you reveal yourself to them in a real and mighty way, oh God. Send them to the right doctors, the right counselors, oh God. Those that need to take medication, oh God. I thank you that you will take the fear away regarding medicine, oh God. And that they will participate in their healing the way the people in the Bible participated in theirs, oh God. I thank you, O oh God, that you are wakening up the field of mental health oh god to recognize how systemic racism has impacted them oh god and how that systemic racism has impacted the healing of people of color oh god i thank you oh god that we call down the wall of racism and mental health we call down the wall of racism in our country oh god i thank you that you are reconciling people one to another and to yourself oh god i just speak life healing love joy peace redemption reconciliation, O God, over all who are under the sound of my voice. I love you. I praise you. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, O God, that you are giving this show the ability to make our small contribution to what you are doing now in the earth realm. We just commit all of these things into your hands. We love you and adore you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: You have been listening to Spiritual Principles for Emotional Healing. And I am your host, Dr. Denise Johnson. And this show will be available to you to listen to on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash
2: principles for
0: emotional healing.
2: And you can also hear my show on Spotify. Because I am believing God That
0: as you repeatedly listen to these prayers, he will heal your brokenness the same way he has used these prayers to minister to my brokenness. And lastly, I want you to always remember where your spirit leads, your emotions, power, and destiny will follow.